All right. Um, next up, we have the commercial aquaponic cannabis uh, panel. We're going to have Bain Howard of Vertica. Uh, and then we also have um, uh, Lloyd Owens from uh, Thumb Genetics, uh, as well as uh, um, uh, 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 the people from Aquilitas and, and, and others. Sorry, uh, her name is escaping me at the moment because I just had entirely too much hash before this. So I do apologize. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, we have a, a great, great panel here. And uh, we're going to have a, a wonderful talk. Um, I know we've had some questions that we've been going over ahead of time, and I'm sure he's got some other great ones. Um, so uh, thanks a lot, uh, Heavy Days, for joining us all the way from the podcast in Australia. Um, thanks a lot, man. Uh, I know it's been uh, uh, quite the wild ride down there, uh, down under. And um, I really appreciate you uh, uh, coming on to um, moderate this panel. Thanks a lot, man. No, no, huge thank you, my friend. I'm always appreciative to to get the invites. And uh, I've been watching this morning. There's been some great talkers thus far. So I'm going to have to dig down after and get into the rest of it. But as you said, you know, we're here for the commercial panel. But um, before we get into that, I just wanted to give a huge shout out to Steve for for putting on this conference. You know, I'm, I'm not sure if anyone else has got a chance to beat me to it yet, but we're all so very lucky and thankful to have you put this on and as well to everyone else who's helped made the event happen. Um, so yeah, as I said earlier, we're on to the commercial panel. Um, so thanks everyone for joining me. My name's Heavy Days. I'm the host of the podcast. It's a cannabis podcast about growing, breeding, history and culture. Uh, but today on the panel, we've got some fantastic guests with a, a range of different experiences. And I figure maybe the best way to start things off is to just sort of get a little introduction from everyone. Um, so the first thing I might ask is if everyone could give us maybe a little two to three minute blurb about your farm, uh, what style of growing you may use, be it soil, be it aquaponic, mediumless, whatever it is. And maybe finally, if you could tell us one of your products that you're really proud of. So we might start off with Lloyd because he looks like he's ready to jump into it. Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, um, we are an aquaponic grower uh, using a deep water culture. Um, been um, at it about a, a year and just feeling like we've got a good handle on it right now. Um, our claim to fame is that our aquaponics is um, we do our own breeding and we've done considerable breeding and we have a lot of our own strains that we're coming out with. Uh, we've had three tests that we've had uh, over 30% per percent in cannabinoids already, and uh, which we're quite proud of. Um, our stuff uh, tests back really clean too, which we're, we're very proud of as well. Um, so those are our best products. Our, 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 we, the, of course, the Cushmints just does, does wonderful all the time. And the, and the strains that we've developed off the Cushment have, have resulted. We are biggest, pr proudest product because we work in a real wet environment is we've de uh, developed a strain of what we call black and blue that's very mold resistant. And we hope to develop it and keep developing it more for an outdoor use. And so we've crossed that with other strains because it's not a heavy plant. And, um, and, uh, but it is, I mean, you can't give it mold. And, um, and so we're trying to cross those strains to bring some of those characteristics to, to the, the more different styles of, of marijuana. And then uh, we're also working with some low THC uh, marijuanas as well. So, so like I said, we're a breeder, we've been at it 12 years. So, um, so and a grower of both medical and adult use. That's it. That's so awesome to hear. And you jump straight into the genetics. You're a man after my own heart. We'll have to touch back on that in a minute, but it looks like Bain's ready to talk. I don't know if you missed the intro, Bain, but we were just hoping to get a little bit of a blurb about your farm, what style of growing you use, and maybe a product you're really proud of. Yeah, sure thing. Well, first off, I'd like to say thanks for having me on to everybody. Uh, Steve and everybody else has had a big part in putting this thing on. Lots of great information out. So uh, yeah, thanks for having us. Um, but my name is Bain Howard. I'm from Vertica Farms. That's vertical without the L. Uh, Vertica Farms were located in Oklahoma. We do aquaponic cannabis. Um, we're serving, Oklahoma serves a purely medical market right now. So that's all we do. Uh, you asked about uh, growing techniques. We do a combination of 
deep water culture, some dual root zone, and then we also grow a good number of plants in a living soil containers as well. That's awesome to hear. Looks like we've got a aquaponics heavy panel at the moment. Danielle, are you there? Is your uh, microphone working at the moment or are we sorting that out on the back end? Uh, yeah, I think it's working. Can you That's hear me? That's fantastic. Yeah, we can hear you. Thanks so much okay. for joining us today. So I was just hoping we might be able to get a little bit of a background on yourself and uh, what style of growing your farm uses and any products you're particularly proud of. Yeah, so uh, we grow using a combination of aquaponics, water and uh, living organic soil. Uh, and in terms of products that Aqualitas produces, I'm really proud of our baby koi. Um, but in terms of cannabis product, uh, we have a God Bud Cross called Ebb and Flow that I really like. And uh, our gummies are fantastic. Oh, I love that. That sounds awesome. So I was having a think about what sort of questions we should go over today. And one that came up repeatedly from people I spoke with was, there's a lot of people out there who have aspirations of getting into the larger scale production, like a commercial facility, for example. And sadly, there can be some sort of uh, loops and uh, red tape you've got to cross before you can get to that point. So I thought maybe a good spot to start the discussion would be, what was everyone's journey to get to where they are now? Did you have those sort of legal issues you had to overcome? Or was it reasonably straightforward? We might start with Lloyd. Um, yeah, ours was a big journey. It took, uh, took about two and a half years to get certified and cleared and all the FBI clearances and, and all that thing. It's a big deal. So it was about two and a half years to, to get this done. You have to go through both the state and a city set of registration and, and application process. It's quite used. It took quite a bit of time. Uh, once you establish it, the the controls on it and are and the uh, I'll say the building inspectors in that you know they they pay a big play a big part in that so following the rules is big really big in uh, in in building out probably more than what people give it credit for you gotta dot your eyes on that on that process. How about you, Bain? Uh, I definitely agree there. You got to make sure all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. It can be uh, quite a long process. Uh, I myself didn't have to go through a ton of legal hoops. Obviously, we play by the rules and do all that now to make sure the inspectors are happy. I was fortunate enough. I came up doing um, uh, aquaponic vegetables down in Texas and recently moved uh, up to Oklahoma these past couple years and, and came on with a company that already had a license uh, in hand. So we were able to just jump in, inherited a greenhouse, uh, a few problems that came with the greenhouse, but inherited a greenhouse that was already up and rolling and uh, were able to just kind of get straight to work on that. So we were, we were very fortunate in that aspect. Awesome. Awesome to hear. And how about you, Danielle? Uh, I'm kind of like Bane. I came on board uh, after a lot of all the difficult heavy lifting with the licensing had already been done. Um, the one thing we had to deal with, it was uh, quite a long road, surprisingly, to get koi into our facility. There were a lot of, uh, you know, we had to write up a lot of uh, documents saying, you know, this is how, you know, we can very clearly prove that they're not going to get out anywhere. They're not going to cause any environmental disruption, which is fair because, Carp and koi are really nasty if they get in somewhere where they haven't previously been. Uh, but that was the the biggest kind of hurdle that I had to deal with was just the the licenses and number of people involved in moving a fish two hours down a highway uh, was uh, took a, took longer than I thought maybe I I would have preferred it to take. Yeah, certainly. I remember in the past I'd spoken with Steve about the legalities surrounding aquaponics and he'd always said that, you know, with the fish, it adds this extra layer of sort of complexity. However, there are advantages. So before I jump the gun too much, I guess just um, open to the panel in general, would you say that the extra sort of work you had to go through to get the permits regarding the fish and all of the surrounding legislation has been worth it? Or do you think that it is really like a passionate project and there was all this extra work and we're still sort of trying to see the dividends. 
No, for, no, for us, it is definitely a, uh, you know, because we are commercial and we are large scale, it's every penny counts, okay? Um, in our system, we, um, we face a lot of one-time costs, but what aquaponics does do more than anything is it lowers your operational costs. And, and the lower operational costs all feeds into the bottom line and, and whether you're, you're profitable or not. So no, aquaponics, um, like there is a Canadian company that's kind of, it's a gimmick for, for them and it's show and tell. But for us, it's a real thing for us. And every you think of the quantity of plants for every cycle, you're reducing and getting rid of out of the environment, most of those chemicals, okay, just start to go. I'm not wasting any of those chemicals on the ground out into the environment, you know? So, so it kind of goes along in my view of the new way of thinking of how to, how to spare the earth after we brutalized it so much. So my, my big concern, if I could lower my energy costs, cause I'm, I'm an indoor operation, but still my, my operational cost is the, the, the main feature of making this successful. And um, so, no, it's not, it's not a gimmick or a joke. This is, you know, I, the, my media is a one-time cost. My buckets are a one-time cost, you know, and, and all of these things are, are long-term, are impactful in, in, in where I stand in the industry. Um, the quality and the cleanliness, that's what I don't understand about what's organic and what's not, because the cleanliness of marijuana grown through an aquaponic system, the self-flushing and the removal of the salts constantly. Um, at no time are you hyping the fertilizers, it's just the plant goes by and picks off what it needs. You know, uh, the cleanliness and the smoothness of the product in comparison, plus the quality. And like I said, if you saw ours, the plants that you saw today, um, those plants were only six weeks old and they're blooming, you know, a couple weeks into bloom at three foot tall, you know, and, and spread out across a canopy, you know, and that's kind of, kind of what you want. Uh, I don't know. That's my view. Okay. I'm not doing it for fun and games. It, it's hard work. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more uh, with you there. I definitely think it's a lot of upfront, certainly in the, in the paperwork and making sure everybody signs off on whether it's your tilapia or your koi or whatever fish you're using, make sure those are staying out of your waterways. Uh, there's a lot of headaches up front, getting the, the fish happy and healthy and monitoring and maintaining that. But uh, as you said, it definitely pays dividends in lowering your operational costs as you're going through it. And then I agree that the, the flower that comes out of the, the end of it, well, heck, whether it's, it's flower, if you're growing cannabis or if you're doing veggies or something like that at yeah. home, I think the, the purity that you're getting out of your end product really uh, shows through. And so for, for that reason alone, if nothing else, if you didn't count the environmental impact and the water savings and, you know, the laundry list that we could go down, uh, I think it's worth it. Yeah, some great answers there. And uh, I'm sort of feeling like Steve owes me like a, a bag of cash for like almost seeming like I planted that question so well there, but I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm sure we've all got great <laughs> things to say about aquaponics. Um, uh, but I'll definitely get you some beans next time I see you in the States, allegedly. Uh, you're too kind, my friend. They'll, they'll magically make their way back to Australia as well, I'm sure. Um, but uh, So let's sort of think about this chronologically. You know, we've got our license and we're now looking at a facility. What are sort of the main things, pieces of equipment, I guess, you need to get in place before you could do a commercial size facility? You know, because... People, when they talk about aquaponics, they're worried about, you know, pump failures, things like that. What were the key bits of infrastructure you think really need to be there before you can be confident the system will be successful? The power has got to be there. I think, I think having three phase on site is, is huge. Uh, certainly if you're doing cannabis and want to be able to crank some lights on them, uh, having the infrastructure there, because it, or the funds to do it, and it is not cheap to extend and run serious power to a, a facility if it's not there already. I think that's probably one of the, the big things if I were to be looking for a new space to set up shop would be, you know, where is it located and access to high voltage power, you know, clean water, all that fun stuff. And then a, a good reliable workforce is, as well if you're really trying to do a big commercial grow where you're going to need a lot of hands. Uh, that's another big factor that I think some people don't think about and take into consideration. 
Yeah, I've, I kind of agree with that. We, um, we, we tend to, to pay our employees pretty well, uh, according to industry standards and what's out there. But, but I've kept my employees now the whole time, you know, and these people are trained the way we want them. Um, they learn that they, they the, I've found that employees enjoy aquaponic systems coming from other grows. We've hired other people and they're fascinated by it. And it's a whole new realm of science. Uh, sometimes you got to slap them on the wrist go, no, you don't do that in aquaponics. But, but, but many, many times the, the enjoyment factor that they get in the switchover in this new technology, there's not a guy out there that doesn't look up on that go up on that deck and check out the fish, you know, and, and when you got the fry, hey, you know, and, you know, and heck for a while we were taking turns feeding them. So, so just in a morale standpoint, uh, it's, it's a nice thing. Okay. But, but I agree, I agree with Bain is that he's, he's drawn the, the exact thing is it's all about the power. If you saw how we set up our power, we bring in that raw power and we use a series of transformers and each transformer gives me exactly what I want. If I want 277 three phase or 483 phase or whether I want 110. Um, other than that, all the other lights in our facility are 40 watt LEDs. I mean, we've, we've done a complete makeover of our facility based off of our power grid and our power usage. So, so I would say that, that in a commercial setting, the, the organization of the power and the plumbing, as Bain said, are, are the absolutes, you know, and uh, just my feeling or, or what I've seen, you know. Yeah, and I'd, I'd add to that knowing, you know, what water source you're using, what's already in it. Um, yeah, are you going to, are you using like a municipal source that has all the nutrients, all the alkalinity pulled out of it? Because in that case, you're going to need a pretty decent uh, supplementation program to keep your, your pH under control. Um, and the other thing is uh, volume. Volume is your friend. Uh, if you can have more volume, that gives you more control. It gives you more balance. Uh, it's it, The system will change a lot slower, which is really better from a fish perspective. Even if something goes wrong, it takes can take longer to go wrong, I guess. Uh, so yeah, now, now what we've done to address that issue is, is um, you know, I watched part of, part of yours and, and, um, and, but I did miss, you know, a good uh, Bain's uh, presentation. Um, what we've done is we've created a lab and we test our water daily. And we, I mean, we have full blown tests from ammonia, nitrate, all the way to the nitrate stage. We test the potassium levels. So, I mean, everything's tested. It takes about three hours. We perform uh, about 20 water tests daily. And what we've been able to do is become uh, predict, create a more of a predictive model on our nutrients based, based on, on that. Um, and we have seen actually to where, um, and just because we've tried it to where we can overload a piece with certain uh, basilica or bacteria or whatever and see what the results are. So, so and we've gone the other way to where now that we feel like we have control on it, we're reducing the amount of our water far by, by two thirds. And what we've done is gone from a bed situation to a, to a pot situation is what we've done. And, um, and by doing this, you know, we've taken a 600 gallon bed, you know, eight of them in a room and we've reduced that down to, you know, a, a thousand gallons of water. And we find it's easier to manage than the flows and the drainage. And especially as we expand, you know, we're adding all these rooms and, and your place in Oklahoma is big. As you expand these places, Pumps, motors, HVAC, all this stuff adds to the to the expense of this. Chillers, you know, we keep that temperature of the water solid. And if you're in cannabis like us in an indoor thing, any equipment you buy, you got to buy two of them because it's redundant. Okay, you know, if the lights go out, you know, I'm in trouble. You know, and um, our emergency generator, we have large emergency generator, and it only does so much. But we've actually felt like we have our water science under control and so the handling wa less water 
in a long term in a big facility is going to be easier than just a massive you know amount of amount of water that we're already handling now and with the expansion you know tripling that you know quadrupling that amount of water you know so so you know i understand that and for the first two years of this year of this I can I can agree that the the changes were slower and and this and that is a huge advantage you know I agree but just the mass of water that you always have to have under control and when you treat it you need more to treat it and that so we're kind of leaning the other way is is what we're actually doing and uh, um, and uh, but I can see see it both sides straight up you know pretty readily. Yeah, what a great answer. It sounds like you've been able to streamline things a bit, which is awesome to hear. If we just think now, you know, like we've got our license, we've got our facility, we've got our tri-phase power, we're all confident it's going to work. The next question is, let's get some seeds going. So I'm interested to know what sort of system or style do you use when germinating seeds? And particularly, I'm interested in like, how do you do this on scale? Or do you just opt for clones? Is that the better choice on scale? I'm interested to hear the diversity of opinions. I might chuck it over to Danielle first. Uh, yeah, we do. Uh, all of our commercial rooms are with clones. So every plant in that room is, is you know, genetically identical. We do uh, a lot of pheno hunting and we'll, we'll use seeds for that. Um, and we'll start them out and follow them all the way through and make sure they, you know, we'll have you know, 15 of the same cultivar that we're you know looking at you know how does it grow what is the uh how, how tall does it get you know what are the, what's the bud structure like is it resistant to pm um like all sorts of it gets scored and then we look at the final product the you know the cannabinoids the sensory experience uh the the terpene levels and all that and then we'll make a choice uh among those different seeds uh but yeah we we generally go with cl clones for commercial production it makes it a lot more uh um uniform in a room have to agree with that yeah uh, there's a there's a beast thing with uh with the seeds is they take space up you know you have to do this pheno hunt like she says and 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 you have all these plants that that are different than everything else you're growing in your system you know and you, and so they're kind of like they can be in the way almost and but you have to put up with that and you have to do it and you have to find the right you know and and the problem is is that you gotta you gotta to find them you gotta go from start to finish so you have all these plants that are in this way for the whole time they exist you know and uh, but but it, it happens exactly like she says yeah, I'm, I'm going to sing the same exact tune there. I, I agree with you both. The, the pheno hunting can be a bit of a handful, and you do have a, you know, that 10, 20 plants that are acting different than one another, and what you really want in the commercial setting is consistency, consistency. I mean, almost to the detriment of other things, you would, you would take consistency. If, it, if everything fails, then at least you know to do that again and can change it up. But uh, for that reason, we do... Uh, uh, all of our production batches are, are from clones. So yeah. We'll grow up our moms, pheno yeah. hunt, grow up the moms, and then when we're doing, you know, a couple hundred plants in a run, that's all genetically identical clone from a mom. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. Probably one of the only subjects in uh, organic gardening where you hear people are all sort of on the same page. That's really cool. And we've sort of touched on it already, but I guess to get a little more specifically into it, in the context of your specific operation, what are some of the characteristics or cultivar traits that you really need in order to have a successful sort of cultivar in your facility? What are sort of your top three things that it has to bring to the table besides just like high THC? I guess I'm more thinking like, you know, is it fast vigor or is it uh, pest resistance? Things sort of more along those lines. Our, ours is based on adaptability to water. All some plants, some plants do extremely well in this water, and some of them take a little more to take off. And so you have to identify each one of those plants. And and we and any plant that that struggles to take off generally has more problems with uh, pest management situation or or anything will affect them. Strong, vigorous plants that do well in it. So like we've had 
beautiful plants that just don't like the water as much, you know, and, and so they don't do as well. And then, uh, and then we look at, at plant characteristics. Uh, um, we like the bud structure and, and site structure is, is probably the, the key or one of the most important things we looked for. And uh, we like more of a spreading plant for canopy rather than, rather than a tall, tall a one that wants to rake out tall. Um, so these kind of features you look for. And then it's gotta be backed up by the test results. Yeah, great response there. Did anyone have any differing opinions or are we all sort of on the same page? It, it's more of the same here. He hit the trifecta right there. It's, uh, you know, pest and mold resistance. And then, of course, your, your patients are always going to put a great deal of emphasis on what does that final product come out as. And then there are some that just don't necessarily like the uh, aquaponics or not necessarily they don't like it, but they won't behave consistently and yeah. dependably with the aquaponics year round. And that's, you know, that's just as, as bad a trait as, you know, getting bugs really bad or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. certainly. Oh, sorry, please go ahead. I Danny. was going to say, yeah, I, I agree with everything uh, that you guys said. And it's also uh, along with the bud structure, the plant structure, um, less so but just that it doesn't you know stretch to be 10 feet tall uh, as soon as you flip it to flower and you know it's a nightmare to to cut it down and harvest it it's uh, better to uh, even if the thc is great it's it's maybe better to to look for something a little bit less uh, troublesome yeah that's really interesting yeah, a, a room full of sativas just running for the lights can be a real headache when you're trying to get through and move through a hundred or more of them. That's ugh, nobody wants to deal with that. Yeah, certainly. So I'm going to throw it on the other end of the spectrum now. Was there ever a particular cultivar that you were really excited to bring into the facility to get it going? And it just didn't live up to your expectations. And I guess as sort of a follow-up to that, do you ever feel any pressure as in you're sort of bound by what the market's demanding? Or do you find that the end quality is good enough that you can sort of do whatever you want and the quality just speaks for itself and you know you don't need the runs bag, so to speak? Well, well, in the... We have two types of markets here. We have medical and, a, and an adult use. And the adult use is more about two things, the potency of it for those that can afford of it. And the other side of it is what can I get for my money? So, so the high potency things have, depending on where you're at, can be outmarketed by, by your 12 and 16% that are in pre-rolls in certain situations quite readily in, in the market situation. Whereas the, uh, for the medical folks, they're looking for certain conditions in the marijuana is like, hey, I want a sativa driven or, or in the case of, uh, you know, like a, a, a true Crohn's, Crohn's patient or, or a cancer patient, they find something or somebody with arthritis, they some, find something that works best for them. Okay. Um, and so, um, so there you cut you know you really need all all of them and you need to have all of them if you're going to be marketable if i go to a company and i want to sell my products i got to you know if i want to be more welcome i got to offer all the products they need or as many of the products as i can conceivably offer to them um i you know that's that's kind of my view i don't know what the the other folks think on that but but that's how we have we have to approach it in this market yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not really on the sales side, but a personal pet peeve of mine is when something's marketed at, oh, it's a super lemon haze, and you smell it, and it's pine and dirt. <laughs> not a hint of lemon in it. Um, that's, a, that, that, uh, that's a quick way for me to get disappointed for, uh, for pheno hunting and, and whatnot is when it's completely, or like, oh, it's a, you know, orange hill, and it, nothing, nothing better is orange or purple, or, you know, I, I want it, I have certain expectations when I hear a name, 
Um, and uh, just because the plant can be so variable, not all the seeds will will hit that mark. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's important to, because you do have to kind of play to the tune of the market. I do think at least uh, speaking for myself in our situation, we like to kind of have cultivars that hit kind of the main points around the spectrum, not necessarily have the runts and the cookies and you know the whatever the hype strain of the day may be but have something that's in the earthy area of the terpene profile and have something that's fruity and something that's more gassy and be able to hit those more than necessarily check names off of the list I think that's really important um to answer kind of the other side of that question we haven't had many strains that just didn't like the aquaponics the weirdest thing that we've kind of seen is we do do a bit of um, autoflower plants and on top of some, well, they're kind of a modified deep water culture where that has a bit of dual root zone. We have had some uh, beans that we've gotten that were autoflowers that did not necessarily behave very well and didn't want to flower under 20 hours of light uh, as we would have expected. And we kind of attribute that to maybe being the uh, something to do with the aquaponics that was keeping them from flowering how we would have expected to we're still trying to put a finger on exactly what was uh, the cause of that but we've seen it in two or three different strains uh up to date yeah wow that's really interesting to hear i guess yeah. we're sort of oh please go on lloyd oh and it's what he says it's it's about uniformity in your bed and and that's what when you're not uniform in your bed that's problematic you know, all through your bed, how much light gets through, what you need to feed, the whole nine yards gets disrupted when you have different stuff going on. Yeah, certainly. And you sort of gave me a nice little segue there in which I'm wondering, what were some of the big differences that you first noticed when you started operating on scale versus, say, a smaller one? Did you have to make changes to, like, the fish you were growing in terms of the type? Or what were some of the big differences that you noticed when you scaled up? I, I would say, at least speaking for myself, um, not a lot of huge differences in terms of, you know, cultivar selection or or fish care, apart from the, the scaling, you know, bigger pumps, bigger air blowers, that kind of stuff. Um, the big thing that you've got to consider is when you're going is a closet with six plants in it is not the same as a greenhouse full of them. And the level of care you can give to each individual plant has to shift and there's a bit of a negotiation between you and the plant where you can't, I mean, unless you have a hundred employees, you can't spend, you know, 30 minutes, an hour babying each plant every day. You've got to have a method where you go in there in some kind of regimented system and say, okay, this is defoliation. We're doing X, Y, Z. You got two minutes per plant and then you got to move on to the next one because we got 500 to get through today to, to stay on track uh, and being able to plan and schedule that uh, to get all your, you know, necessary plant work done. I think that's the biggest thing, uh, the biggest kind of hurdle when it comes to scaling up. Yeah, I think recognizable as, as our movement too is, as uh, so what we did is, is you don't recognize when you scale up the amount of water that's, that's when that plant breathes, okay? And when, when you start out you think, okay, I need a humidifier for this and I'll tell you what, I've hardly ever turned a humidifier on, you know, just, uh, you know, and, and uh, dehumidifiers that we, we purchased and set up with this, we've had to double that capacity, you know, and so, so to me, that was the most, wow, knock you out thing is this, how much moisture this room can hold if you don't, if you don't get it under control and it, and it happens in 20 minutes, if, if a unit goes out or something or, or, or somebody's turned it off to clean the filters or to replace the filters, it happens in a heartbeat. So to me, that was the biggest thing that the biggest like wow factor to me, as far as this is the difference in, in a, in, you know, 12 plants in a room and, and, you know, 1200 plants in a room. You know, that's, that's the, that to me was the, the single biggest difference. And then the, the rate of growth across the bed is that how fast these things will grow in, in this system. I've never, you know, I grew up a farmer and 
and worked on. My, my first experience with aquaponic was when I was 15 years old, which makes that, that 40, 40 years ago. So as a teenager, I worked at a nursery that practiced aquaponics, you know, in, in the early 70s, you know. And I can successfully say that at one point that nursery reached like one of the largest in the world. And I never did at that time put together the factors that maybe got them there until I was a little bit older, you know, and to appreciate what that aquaponic system did for that nursery. And, and they watered the entire nursery with it. And um, everything was in dirt. So everything came out of the lakes up to the plants, ran right down the hill back into the lake feed the fish and start the process all over. It was an amazing facility. And uh, so, so yeah, the, just the sheer volume of stuff is what hits you and impacts you the most in, in, these, in these things. See that cat? And yeah, sorry about that. She uh, is getting close to her dinner time, so she's going to start being friendly. Um, but uh, yeah, for for us, uh, when we started, uh, or when I started there, our f we got the fish in and they're very small and the we kind of scaled up adding rooms as the fish got bigger. But one big thing uh, with the fish side is the, the bigger they get, the more, you know, kilograms per meter cubed you have, the shorter amount of time you have if something goes wrong that you have to get there and, you know, fix the pump or turn the oxygenator back on or uh you know make clear a, a standpipe that's not flowing properly and there's no flow going through that one tank like it as it you know it's kind of good to start when they're little but it does quite quickly become as you get to higher densities it's a life support system and if something goes wrong you need to have people who can get to it within you know 15 20 minutes uh, and that is, that is, you know, something that, uh, luckily we, we've been, we've been very lucky or we've been very, very skilled one or one or both. Um, and we haven't had any, any huge issues, but I know that is a big problem with recirculating indoor aquaculture systems as things can go south fast and the higher your stocking densities you're using, the faster it's going to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Get auto dialers. For your main yeah. system pump and your air yeah. blowers. If those things go down, you, your phone needs to be ringing. Yeah. Um, we use, um, we use besides air blowers, we use uh, like ox oxygen concentrators, two O2 concentrators versus, versus all the pumps and that. And that when we swapped over to those, that, that was a game changer. Yes. Just a game changer, you know. Have you found that to be very, um, or at least less cost effective uh, because of the increased price of oxygen due to current world events, or have you still seen a benefit from that? Well, I haven't had to buy any since then, <laughs> since the, oh, the okay, whole yeah. thing. There, okay. There's the answer. <laughs> and uh, we'll find, we'll find that out for sure. But I, you know, the, the noise, the, the pumps are noisy. They produce a lot of heat. They produce a lot of heat in the water. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of downsides to all that tubing and, you know, and, and everything that you need. Uh, the cleanliness factor of it is, is different and it's easier to use the O2. The O2 actually doesn't bring in anything but O2, not air. So and the O2 will kind of kill a lot of stuff on its own bubbling out. It'll help promote a few things, but it'll kill a few things too. It kills more than it promotes. And, um, and then, uh, um, so we use it to our advantage. It's not for everywhere, you know, and, and uh, throughout the garden and everything. But in this, for the fish, they, they work really well for the, for the fish. And, and then there's some security there because um, they're really easy to put redundant. And if one fails, they, you know, hey, if this one goes off, this one comes on. And so, so and, and they're much easier to do than, than pumps are to, to have that on there. And um, we're installing actually a thing now, if, uh, if the floor gets damp, so you know, it, it'll phone you up to tell you, hey, you got water on your floor. And because uh, if we got water on our floor, there's, there's reason water's on the floor, you know? And uh, we don't do, most, no, most companies do this, uh, do this how many days since you've had an accident. We do how many days since somebody's had to clean up water. <laughs> 
It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of <laughs> kind of what we do, and uh, and uh, so it does. It does. You know, it it goes around that way. Yeah. This uh, came up on the Aquaponics Association chat, but uh, never leave a hose on and walk away. You're not going to remember. Oh. the farm. <laughs> Can't tell you how many times over my life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, props to all the aquaponic growers. I think even just filling up buckets, that can happen at times. I can't imagine when there's fish involved. And uh, I'd love to talk about fish for just a moment. I'd love to hear a little bit about what species of fish you opt for what you do with the end fish is it just for you guys to eat do you sell it anywhere and finally do you have any maybe little creative plans up your sleeve for what you might do in the future i think a while ago steve said to me he was toying with the idea of like cbd infused fish fillets and stuff like that i'd be keen to hear if anyone had any cool stuff like that going on well we are we are not allowed to sell our fish in any fashion um and um, so um, our fish are free to mostly our employees if they want to take, and uh, and uh, and then I'm always fond of a few of them. Let me tell you. And uh, so we use the the tilapia, the blue Nile, and um, I like them. They're hardy. They can take large swims, swings in pH is what one of my favorite things about them. And um, and then as long as I keep down that temperature, you know, a little lower than what they're used to. Um, I can keep them less, you know, they're less aggressive and then they won't go to breeding and this kind of thing. So I have some pretty good control over those fish. So we use the Blue Nile. Um, I, you know, and it's just because that's kind of what we were kind of taught to use at first. So that's what we've stuck with. We've never tried any other fish. We do have some, um, some uh, red air going right now that, that I am going to put in one tank. And the difference is, is, you know, one's a carnivore, one's a herbivore. And I want to see what the nutritional impact is on the water when I, when I run the different versus the carnivore or, or, or the omnivore versus the, the herbivore. And I uh, want to see what that protein difference does to the, to the water. It, it, it just in, and to see what the digestion differences are. Um, it'd be curious. Um, and so we are going to try the, the red air soon. Got a little baby screwing in there. <laughs> so, yeah, we do the, uh, we do Blue Nile as well. We've got a couple tanks full of them right now. They're kind of our, you know, strong and steady. There's nothing that you can do to really upset them or, heck, even make them lose their appetite. They'll, they'll just keep chowing and keep doing their thing. Uh, we have started in the past six months, about six months now, uh, because we're the cannabis facility. We can't sell any of those as, you know, to consumers for, for meat or anything like that. You, the USDA won't come in and put a stamp on those guys. Uh, so that's a, you know, farm farm cookout type of thing, fish fries, whenever that, that's appropriate. Uh, we have started to kind of get around that and to get some revenue out of the fish brought on um, some butterfly koi, and we've got those growing in a couple of tanks right now uh, with the intention of selling them to the ornamental market when the time comes. Uh, we haven't taken any of those to market just yet. They're still kind of growing and sizing out, uh, but that is something we've kind of got in the works. And they're, they make me uh, appreciate the tilapia. They're a bit more sensitive, you know, as a as a scaleless or semi-scaleless fish. You know, there's some, they're a bit more sensitive to you know, water quality parameters and stuff like that. So they take a bit more of a uh, experienced fish keeper, I would say, but uh, certainly still still work well. They still eat, they still poop. So they uh, they do their job for us well. Yeah, and uh, if you watch my talk, I talked about koi for about 40 minutes this morning. Um, and so we grow koi, we don't currently sell them. Uh, we're just gotten our breeding program off the ground. So we may start to sell fry at some point, but uh, mostly right now we're looking to, to meet our own needs. They're just, they're pets with jobs. Their job is to eat and poop and they do that very well. Um, they, uh, they're really chill fish. They work well with our climate. Um, and they make pretty good cannabis, so no complaints. 
That's great to hear. It sounds like maybe Danielle and I need to get a bit more well-versed on eating some tilapia. I'm sure Bain and Lloyd are well and truly sick of it by now. Got a few oh, recipes we can share. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good, actually. You can cook them a lot of different ways. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. A few questions ago, we, we touched on pests, and I'd be, interesting, I'd be interested to hear, are there any pests you've had any issues with in the context of the aquaponic system? And sort of more interesting in my mind, do you know any people in the area as you who have pest issues, but you don't have them and you think, oh, that's probably because the aquaponics is sorting it out? Somebody else go first. Uh, oh, I'll start off. So uh, <laughs> we, we've had quite a few, oh, my screen's wrong. We've had quite a few uh, run-ins with pests, like I said. Um, I kind of inherited this farm. It was an operational uh, cannabis facility before we kind of took over. So it had plants and they had pests when we came in. And despite best efforts, you know, some of them kind of stick around with the facility. We've had a couple different varieties of aphids, uh, just about every variety of mite you could imagine on, on site when we first wrapped up. Not many of those were were super bad. Uh, the russets gave kind of a bit of a problem for a while. They were a bit stubborn, but they're they're manageable. Uh, certainly, when temperatures get lower, they're you know not really a problem at all. It's in the in the heat of summer. Sometimes we'll see a little uptick, and we've got to go a little uh, a little heavier on on the control of those guys to get them from keep them from causing us any problems. Uh, I can't speak to neighbors with pests that we do not have though um that is certainly not that i could attribute uh, to the aquaponics itself but we've dealt with quite a few uh, but we're we do all biological pesticides and stuff like that at the farm so we're all all natural pest management and use beneficial insects to kind of keep everybody knocked down so that's our that's our main ipm strategy and it's uh, been working for us even against some of those uh, kind of nasty guys out there yeah, our, our own, we've only had one and it was with the, the aphids and, um, and we just went into attack mode and, and, uh, and we did use the knockdown type of uh, biologicals like no fly and this kind of thing. And then we um, used the systemic on it through, through the roots to, to take care of them. But we found that that was in the summer months, like you said, but since then we have sealed our building. I mean, there is no different than a greenhouse or something. There's no air that comes into our, our facility that's not filtered any, any, anymore. And um, so we keep uh, the pressure regulated inside the building and then inside the rooms. And then we are actually like right now getting ready to go through the phase of, of where, um, you know, um, dust carrier areas where you go through and, and there'll be air curtains and air showers and these kind of things before you enter into the inner sanctum of the facility. Um, everybody at the office has multi-pair of shoes. Only one pair of shoes is allowed. You know, everybody drops this pair of shoes. You do the, the Zeratol treatment and you walk in the walk into the facility there. So, so pests are something you learn how to deal with. The other things is, I don't know if you saw the video or ever, but those sticky cards with them bugs on it that collect them bugs, I will leave them out till they're not sticky anymore. I would plaster a room with them if I could, you know, and and because if, you know, they are the first place the bug's going to land. Um, we are on the on the edge of every one of our our buckets. There's a there's a, a thing of tape that goes around just right around the edge of the bucket to where the tape, the sticky side sticks up above the tape, the sticky side sticks down below the tape. Amazing how much that would collect when we were doing it. Now that we've got it under control, you know, we don't we don't see any bugs. And since we sealed the building, that's probably been the the biggest thing. And and but as as Bain said, I I don't I don't know what the neighbors are doing and and mostly because they'll start asking what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah we uh we're similar to lloyd we're sealed up tight uh really strict biosecurity and note um so we haven't really had too many issues we have a pretty aggressive ipm strategy in place just preventative uh to keep keep anything that might make its way in under control um the uh 
And we don't really have any neighbors who do anything similar to us. We're kind of very, very rural. Uh, I don't, the nearest greenhouse, I don't even know where it would be. Um, so there's not like, I know in, in areas that have a lot of greenhouses, you get white flies and stuff like that, that in Canada, they'll overwinter in the greenhouse and then they'll move to the next greenhouse and it's really hard to get rid of them. But, um, yeah, we don't, we don't have any neighbors doing anything. So we don't, uh, we can't pick anything up from them. And, uh, we've just been, we've been very fortunate so far. That's great to hear. And I'm also glad to hear that, uh, Lloyd, there's another person as passionate about those sticky cards as I am. They're a lifesaver, aren't they? So oh, yeah. for the final 10 minutes, we might, um, ask some questions that have been posed in the chat. So, uh, the first one I can see, um, from Xanthanol, the IPM wizard himself, he wants to know, um, if you had sort of like a ballpark answer for how much meat per plant yield you get on the commercial scale. Um, I mean, I, for the new system that we're putting in, um, it's uh, 150 pounds per, per, per room is what we look for. So that is 150 pounds off of 250 plants in that room. Um, that should take about, um, under 12 weeks, under, under 16 weeks to do that. Then on the shorter plants that we have, quite honestly, you're looking for far in the neighborhood of, of about, we'd like to go three to five ounces on, on each one of those littler plants is what we would like to do. Yeah, that, that, that hits us pretty on the head. We like to see that uh, quarter pound would be great uh, is what, kind of what we're shooting for. If we can get up that half uh, per plant and we're, you know, everybody's singing and it's a great day <laughs> on top. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and awesome. I'm similar ranges. Yeah, good answers. Good answers. More, more meat than I would have expected. That's great to hear. So the next Taco question. Tonics. <laughs> I know I'm late to the party, aren't I? Um, so the next question is from Gorski and he says, do any of the cultivators plan on doing collaborations with maybe other companies and make sort of new strains or even just sort of collecting and sharing data, sort of the way like you see some of the microbreweries doing sort of collaboration type stuff? Collecting and sharing data, I'm all about. I think, I think that's great. Uh, we don't really get involved in too many breeding projects or anything. That those are just deep waters. We don't really have the the personnel or the bandwidth to deal with right now. Uh, but we don't really do anything on the genetic side for uh, mixing it up with the other local guys. But as far as sharing data and methods, I think that's that's critical for our industry in general. Much less in the kind of subgroup of aquaponics. I think it's really huge. So get it out there let people know what's working what's not and uh hopefully everybody starts growing better stuff because of it yeah the, the lack of co collaboration has been one of the problems because um you know once you, somebody figures things out there it's proprietary and they don't want to share it because it's a competitive edge type of thing you know but at the same time when i went to build this thing you know other than you got fish they poop and it's your fertilizer there's not a lot of information about what's going on with your thing. You really got to search it out. So if you saw our thing, what we've started doing, we've started collecting this data and graphing this data. And that's part, part of what this doing this water science every day is about is so we can draw this picture and, you know, but, but we got to make sure this is reliable information too, or true information on the, on the other part of it. But we do have um, on the other side of that, I, because of our size, I think, and, and what it is, um, we have collaboration with, uh, with people that develop products. Like one of the rooms that we did not show today was a room we have that's growing and is for our individual buckets, because those buckets have, are something that the nut market hasn't ever seen and how they work are. And so that's kind of the deal with the bucket company until they let us show them out, you know what I mean, which is coming. And, uh, but, but until they're ready, you know, we have to follow their things. So the development of products 
especially when you get into these larger scale things, is important because this product is what allows us to bring this down from this four 4,200 gallons of water down into this into this 1,400 gallon water range. And, and those changes are the developing technology. We had the same technology developments with the LED lights, you know, didn't trust them. They really didn't work at it very well, but look at them now, they're like the power light on the market. So you gotta have people that you can match up with. And, and these people that, that are doing this, they're wanting to find out about their products as well. And then we have the same thing going with a um, with an IPM management company, is they wanna find out about their products and, and they want somebody that'll test the products at the end, not just grow them and say, oh, okay, they worked okay. They want those test results as much as I do. And so, so yeah, there is collaboration going on and I foresee just for the health of the industry, whether whatever facet you are in it, it's got it's got to be an oncoming thing if you're gonna promote this and and as the success of this rages, the the more people will come on to this just because it costs less to operate this way. It costs more to set up, but it costs a whole lot less to operate. You know, that makes sense. Yeah, one thing uh, when I first stumbled upon the potent ponics. Uh, you know youtube channel and all that it blew my mind because he was just this is exactly what i do this is how it works here's a picture here's another picture here's a system that's already set up uh and just the fact that you were you know openly sharing all this information was such a rare find for anybody talking about cannabis it was very very bizarre for the first the first time i kind of stumbled upon it but um it is definitely the uh, the aquaponics association is a great resource uh they there's not a lot of cannabis growers there but they do provide a lot of really good just general aquaponics information which is really great um and a lot of the cannabis stuff is held pretty close to the chest um i know what we do collaborate where we launched a new brand and i don't know a lot about it but it's a uh, current and it's called current and we uh work with micro growers to uh, help bring their products to market and that's one thing we do that's, that's collaborative um and in terms of uh you know fish health and stuff like that you know we we talk back and forth with other aquaponic producers a little bit of you know asking for tips and tricks and you know what works for you you know have your koi ever done this that kind of thing um and uh you know what kind of biosecurity do you have going into your fish room um just kind of general knowledge kind of stuff that's really uh really nice to share around but at the cannabis i do a lot of producers keep that uh, very close to the chest for sure yeah look just want to echo that sentiment there danielle huge huge shout out to steve of potent ponics for sharing all this knowledge um, and, you know, on top of that, just again, a huge shout out, Steve, for putting on this conference. It's, it's been a pleasure to, uh, to join you all today. Um, likewise, you know, thank you to all of the guests on the panel today. Danielle, Lloyd, Bain, a huge thank you for joining me and for sharing all your knowledge. I guess before we wrap it up, uh, I'll give one of my trademark quotes. You know, does anyone have any final comments or shout outs they want to make? No, I got to echo you to Steve. We've talked to Steve uh, several times. We have, we're signed up for his classes, read and watched his modules and that, and, and enjoy them thoroughly. Um, I do enjoy them. I, and, and like I said, the willingness to share. Um, I think it's a big deal, like, like these things that, that some of the things that we share today are, are things that we felt that why don't people talk about why, why, how to set up your power so it doesn't cost you a fortune to, to operate it, how to, um, how to oxygenate your water without heating it up and not having to, you know, you know, different ways to do things. There's different approaches. And, and, and when we do get this full chemical analysis and these ratios done, we, we intend to present that and make that available. Um, and, the, and we think that'll help a lot because then people won't be wasting as much money on chemicals. They can run at lower ECs. You know, if the ratios are right, you don't have to flood it with all these other unknowns. And, uh, and we just feel that that's real important. So, yeah. And thanks for showing off the website there, Steve. <laughs>
Yeah, awesome. I think that pretty well brings us to the end of it. So again, thank you so much, everyone, for joining me and for all the fans out there listening in. Thanks for listening to us talk for the last hour or so. Um, Steve, we might throw it over to you. I, I was. Uh, thanks a lot so much for that awesome moderation. Uh, do you want to tell everybody how to find your content before we... Oh. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for that, Steve. Look, uh, yeah, just Google the podcast. We're on a most, if not all of the, the podcasting platforms. And if you want to do a deep dive on some genetics or growing, uh, please feel free to listen to some of them. Hopefully we've got one with some of your more favorite breeders in there. Absolutely. It's some of the best breeder content. And then check out um, Bane over at Vertica Farms. Uh, okay. On Instagram. Uh, and, and you can check out their dispensaries in Oklahoma if you want to try some of their product. Um, and uh, you can check out Aquilitas at uh, Aquilitas Inc. on Instagram. And uh, they have a link to their website on there as well. And then uh, Thumb Genetics. Uh, you can check them out, Thumb Genetics on Instagram. And thank you, everybody, for taking the time to come on and be part of the awesome panel. I really appreciate it. That was wonderful. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you.